Let's go, come on, baby! Come on, baby! Come on, baby! USA! 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 Pagan! PDD Pagan! Christian Pulisic, the captain of USA national team. Brought down by Birindelli. This is Colpani. Checks inside, still Colpani. Goes for goal! How about that? From Andrea Colpani. Hello and welcome to another episode of Say a Spotlight. This is episode 90 and we are your hosts Jake and Matt. Here to cover all the happenings of match day two in Say a. Come on baby. Come on baby. As you guys heard from the intro, we couldn't help but add a bit of banterous commentary brought to you by Milan's commentator Mauro Suma. That was for Christian Pulisic's opener against Torino. However, our goal of the week did come from Colpani after yes. his first goal of two against Empoli, where he basically beat his man outside the area and thumped the ball into the near top corner. Beautiful goal and a great performance by Colpani this week. Yeah, player of the week for sure. I think so. Um, it was between that and Ngonj's goal because Ngonj had a lot to do upon receiving the ball at the halfway line and he took it all the way, he beat his man and he hammered Absolutely. it home. Like, what there, a goal that was. there was also Duvan Zapata rolling back the ears and striking that ball on the turn. Within, yeah. within a second, the defender was done. Um, and yeah, just a brilliant strike into the bottom corner by him. We had a few contenders. I think Pulisic's opener was quite a good goal as well, linked yeah. up well with uh, Loftus Streak over there. Some good team play by Milan. Yeah, definitely. Um, fantastic goals all around. Um, guys, remember to follow, like, and rate us five stars. Um, do let us know below whose goal you think was better, by the way. Yeah. Um, if you like what we do and would like to support us, we have a Patreon that you can subscribe to. It's $3.99 a month and it puts you in our WhatsApp group chat. And um, we love you more than the others, basically, if you are Patreon. <laughs> yeah. When, are we, when is our ASTA for our Fanta Culture League? It is, is it I believe, week? next week. Next, next week. week. Yes, okay. Next week. Interesting. Was, yeah, the date, I believe, was the 11th, but mm -hmm. um, don't quote me. Yeah. <laughs> whatever. The league is up to 10 people now, so that's going to be yes. way more competitive, particularly when it comes to bidding for players. More competition. Um, every kind of average player, the, their, their price just goes up of even course. more. You're going to need to take the likes of Luvumbo and yeah, Banda. Those yeah. are going to be the gems. Yeah, hey, don't give away our no, secrets on, now, on, bro. I believe there, there are some news updates that you should take. Yeah, so I'm just going to quickly, quickly run down the funny events of this week. This is a new thing we've been doing. Yeah. Um, so this week in Seiya A, we saw referees suspended. A power cut at San Siro mid-game. High-caliber last-minute transfers such as Lukaku to Roma, Pavard to Inter, and Taremi to Milan is also looking likely. Many a David defeat many a Goliath, and Goliath just so happens to live in Rome, as Verona and Genoa beat Roma and Lazio respectively, while Frosinone slayed Atalanta. I'm not quite sure what's going on with my pronunciation today. <laughs> Goliath. I think Goliath. <laughs> I think it's the, it's the red wine that started there a little so. bit. I think so. Cagliari fans demonstrated that football is indeed for everyone, as a person living with a disability flipped off the Inter fans. Um, a hilarious video. Yeah, Francesco Totti's son, Christian Totti, made his debut for Frosinone's Primavera team. And of course, Mauro Suma spoke English, which is always fun. Everyone has to go see the video of the Cagliari fan flipping it's the amazing. bird to, to Inter. Just a, a proper lad, just yeah. enjoying a, a night of football. And it's one of those videos where you never believe what's going to happen next. Like the video starts... <laughs> 
with a guy mooning the fans. Like, so the first thing you see is a guy's ass. Like, and it just goes on. Then he he grabs his Johnson. He feeds them the bird, and then out of nowhere, it's just so funny. You have to go watch. You have to. We're also at the moment while recording this episode, catching up on some Serie B. At the moment, watching Sampdoria against Venezia, and the, the scenes are pretty lit. I mean, Sampdoria fans coming out and supporting their team, despite being in Serie B this season, and there are some other top games going on at the moment. But let's move in to match day two of Serie A. I'll take you through the rundown. Um, we're going to start things off by discussing Milan's 4-1 victory over Torino. Giroud grabbing himself a brace over there through two very controversial penalties awarded to Milan. Uh, Inter went to Sardinia and managed a 2-0 victory against newly promoted Cagliari. Napoli slates a swallow with the score of 2-0 despite Giacomo Raspadori failing to score against his former team after missing a penalty. Juventus 1, Bologna 1 led to the referees getting suspended for a while from Serie A uh, following a penalty not being awarded to Bologna. Very, very incorrect call over there. Hellas Verona beating Roma two goals to one and being one of the few teams to win both of their opening games. Lazio nil, Genoa one. Lazio haven't picked up a point yet this season. Uh, Frosinone two, Atalanta one. Frosinone looking really good at starting the games off with yeah. a lot of energy and, and getting goals in the first half. Uh, Fiorentina two, Lecce two. Lecce coming back from a couple of goals down and managing to get the draw over there. Yet again. Yet again. Monza 2, Empoli 0. No real surprises yeah, there. Comfortable, comfortable, <laughs> comfortable and a couple of great goals by Colpani. Salernitana 1, Udinese 1 in what was a very, very competitive game over Amazing here. Game very physical the... game as well. 6.30 treat on a Monday. Yeah. Um, your, your prediction... Earlier on, I believe you had corrected it, but yeah, I, I did correct it. Empoli to go down. I, 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 I called you crazy. Mm, look, it's still match day two. Um, mm. My prediction came off nothing much more than a than a gut feeling. The gut feeling is still there. It's just logically there are teams that are worse than Empoli, but from what we've seen thus far, the team has a lot of improvements to make, like significant ones. I'm saying at the moment they do look like. The weakest team in Serie A, judging from the first two mm-hmm. matches that they played. Um, but again, it's still very early. Turns out, you know, they had a very disappointing loss to Hellas Verona. But Hellas Verona now just beat Roma 2-1. Yeah, yeah. So you, you never know. Now Verona might lose to some nobody. And Roma might beat Milan yeah, next Friday. Yeah. You know what I we mean? Need, we need a sample size. We need to gauge a few games to see what, uh, where exactly yeah, everyone stands. Yeah, I think stands. 10 match days in and you yeah. can start getting an idea of who's where kind of thing. Despite the fact that a manager might get sacked and seasons yeah. might turn around. You never know, but uh, I'm, I'm like, uh, maybe Empoli will get relegated. Who the we'll hell knows? See. We'll see. I believe you have the first game, brother. I do have the first game with Milan for Torino 1. So in the opening game... Milan defeated Bologna away from home with the score of 2-0, whereas Torino were coming off a 0-0 home draw to newly promoted Cagliari. Milan have won five of their last seven in Serie A against Torino, but Torino did get the better of Milan twice last season, once in Coppa Italia and once in Serie A. AC Milan and Torino have drawn 56 of their 153 matches in Serie A, with both sides only recording more draws against Lazio in the top flight, uh, 59 for the Rossoneri and 58 for La Granata. Milan stuck with the same 11 that beat Bologna two goals to nil, giving Christian Pulisic, Loftus-Cheek and Tiani Reinders their first taste 
of San Siro with Ben Nasser still out injured and Yunus Musa finally available for the first time and featuring off the bench. Toro were still missing Kofi Gigi and Demba Sek after a disappointing goalless draw to Cagliari. Milan played a 4-3-3 formation with Mike Manian between the sticks and the backline of Calabria, Chao Tomori and Theo Hernandez. Reinders, Krunic and Loftus-Cheek formed the midfield three with Leao out on the left, Pulisic out on the right and Giroud in the middle. For Torino, it was a 3-4-2-1 formation with the big boy Vanya Milinkovic-Savic between the sticks and the backline of Schurz, Bongiorno and Rodriguez. Bellanova was the right wing back, whilst Voivoda was the left wing back and Richie and Illich formed a double, double pivot with Vlasic and Radonic playing behind Tony Sanabria. Tony Sanabria, however, in the opening moments of the match and just moments after I picked him up on Fanta Calcio, <laughs> went off injured and was replaced by Pellegri. Still more information to come out about his injury um, and we will keep you guys updated once we hear more on that. In the 33rd minute, Pulisic opened the scoring. The American once again started and finished the action. He played through Loftus-Cheek wide inside the box who opened the angle extremely well before returning a low diagonal ball for Pulisic to tap in brilliant between the two former Chelsea players and former Chelsea teammates however it was just three minutes later as Milan's defense struggled to take shape after clearing the ball Richie's mishit shot fell to Shores who found himself in a defensive hole and he did extremely well to volley the ball in on the turn from close range in the 43rd minute Giroud scored a penalty the penalty was harshly awarded as VAR Notice a Bongiorno handball inside the area. Please bear with me whilst I try to explain this as it is tough to put into words. As the ball was played into the box, Giroud ducked down and flicked on a header. And with Bongiorno stationed right behind him and his arms planted on Giroud's back, the ball took a small deflection on the hand of the defender following, the Giroud, following Giroud's header. His hands were very close to Giroud's head. So there wasn't a lot of space for the ball to travel before hitting his hands. There's no way Bonjour would have gotten his hands out of there. It was so minor that no one noticed it from open play. Um, but in Italy, it tends to be that if, if the crime is committed, the crime is committed. You see in the Premier League and in the Champions League that actually take distance as a factor, so on and so forth. It doesn't seem to be taken too much into account it in Italy. It used to be. Um, look, as long as there's continuity, uh, we can't complain. In this case, Giroud stepped up and sent Vanya the wrong way with a perfect penalty hitting the side netting. A few moments later, um, at the stroke of halftime, in, in the 47th minute, still in the first half, um, Theo got his name on the score sheet. Theo played the ball to Leao on the wing, and as the Portuguese held onto the ball well, Theo sprinted into the box very cleverly and received a return pass from Leao before he dinked the ball expertly over Vanya. I'm going to go back and say that this should have been a, a contender, contender for, for goal sure. of the week because it's it. the best left back and the best left winger in the league, linking up in that way, and that yeah. tiny dink by Theo and the run and of the, the ball. ball. The ball by Leao was so smart. Perfectly no, weighted pass. Perfectly yeah. weighted pass. What a move. In the 65th minute, another controversial penalty awarded to Milan. This time, VAR noticed Schurz planting his studs onto Leao after the Portuguese had delivered his cross. Now, despite the fact that the ball was the, the foul was committed after the ball left Leao's foot. 
The referee and the VAR team still deemed this to be dangerous play inside the area, which subsequently led onto a penalty. In hindsight, I don't think this was as controversial as the first one, yeah, because it's a stomp, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, but the same result would have taken place, but Leao did end up going off injured after that, so... Mm. Penalty it was. Once again, Giroud stepped up and rather than sending Vanya the wrong way, he left him rooted to the spot and once again hit the ball to the side netting. Perfect penalty once again from Olivier Giroud. Emphatic victory by Milan. Very, very dominant performance. Do you think that the two harsh penalties um, played so much of a factor or did Milan deserve to win the game by that margin? Um... The first penalty awarded um, gave Milan the lead. Yeah. Um, that was the most controversial one, in my opinion. Um, no, that was the... It gave... Yeah, it yeah, did yeah, give me... You're yeah, right, yeah. you're right. Apologies. Yeah. Um, and the last one cemented the victory. Um, I do think that, obviously, it made a massive difference, right? I mean, Milan looked comfortable and mm-hmm. Torino still seemed to be settling into the season. Um, I think Milan would have got the job done either way. Um, I know you can never really say in football... But yeah, um, at the end of the day, you know, they were they were all over the place defensively. I think Shores had a pretty good start to the game. Yeah. But eventually, you know, Leao just ended up destroying him towards the end over yeah. and over again. I, I think the pressure that Milan are putting on their opponents with that high line, um, high pressure, high intensity in all areas of the pitch is really causing a lot of defensive errors. They're not letting the, the teams shift between um, between actions. Um, they're playing a super offensive brand of football. And the thing that I like about how Milan are playing right now is that they're managing to bypass teams' high defensive setup. So before we saw Milan really struggle against the low block. I'm not going to say that they're not going to struggle against the low block um, after just two games. However, Milan are doing this thing where they're managing to bypass the other team's high defensive setup and no longer by just pinging the ball to Giroud for a flick-on, but the Milan players are positioning themselves in such a way to create space in dangerous areas, which is where Manian comes in clutch and with his long balls and his short, accurate passes, um, he's really managing to expose the defences. He had a pass success rate of 56.3% mm-hmm. against Torino. That movement... Um, especially the movement by Giroud and the midfielders moving in such a way to create space mm-hmm. for Leao mm-hmm. down the flank and for the ball to be pinged down the flank for Leao is beautiful. Yes. And the inverted wingers are playing a massive part in creating space as well. You see Theo really joining the central areas and really linking up well with Reinders, Loftus-Cheek and adding this fluidity and pace mm-hmm. in the midfield. And I think that just makes Milan so yeah. much more dangerous, man. There are two things I noticed about Milan's good start. So, first of all, it's the fact that these guys have played together before. You look at Pulisic, Giroud and Loftus-Cheek, they all know each other as they were key pieces at Sarri's Chelsea. Exactly, right? yeah. Um, another thing is that these guys were signed early on in the season. Exactly. Um, Tonali was sold, literally, I think the first day the transfer window opened. What was it? The literally, season had just bro. ended. Literally. Tonali was sold immediately, I remember that. Barely sunny. Like. And then, like, people were just... Coming in, yeah. you know, Reinders, Loftus Street, Pulisic is being brought in immediately. Mm. And they had a full preseason together and they look they look like they've already settled. 
And that's crazy. You know, I didn't, I wasn't expecting Reinders to be so good this early on. Yeah. He looks like he's been a key part of the team for ages. Mm-hmm. You know, so those are the two takeaways I take from Milan's great start right now. And um, it's been a pleasure to watch. Um, and if Taremi comes in, they're going to be, yeah. it's going to be like, okay, so you have Leao, Okafor, Giroud, Taremi, Pulisic, Chukwez. Madonna, man. Madonna. At the moment, I do think that the best man for Milan up front with this brand of football is Giroud. Yeah. Because he's playing extremely well with the young, energetic players that are around him. And the fluidity when Giroud gets the ball and he's capable of releasing it so quickly, quite far down the pitch with his back towards goal, is really allowing players like Leao, players like Pulisic, even players like loftus Streak and Reinders to get into dangerous areas and they expose the defence that way. I think... I, I can't stress on how much I'm liking Teo this season mm. with the amount of... He's staying very wide throughout the entire game, but the way he's drifting centrally and playing with the midfielders, man, wow. I never thought that he could move the ball that well. I thought he was just, you know, put your head down and sprint. But he's actually quite clever of when course, it comes to playing the ball short. He's a very street smart player. Um, these guys can play very well. Like if you compare this Milan to the Milan of previous seasons, um, these guys are really good in tight spaces and that's yeah. why Giroud is striving because they have great technique they hold the ball and particularly Loftus Cheek you know players I, I forgot who said this but players bounce off Loftus Cheek exactly. when he, when he, get, when he yep. hits rhythm he hits a certain pace and everyone just bounces off him and it's true yeah. like, this game it happens he's very good see it. the guy is a tree man Loftus Cheek <laughs> is a fucking tree and he's so technically gifted as well man I really really like Loftus Cheek um, but I won't go on talking about Milan for much longer. Yes, Operation Tarem is in full swing. The two teams can't stop communicating, essentially. Mm-hmm. Apparently, they're even having Skype calls yeah. at night. Like, <laughs> permanent communication. Permanent what communication. The fuck is that? Like, like, have a cigarette break. You know yeah, what I mean? The line's always engaged. Yeah. <laughs> um, Salamakers joins Bologna on a loan with option to buy for around 9 to 10 million. Um, sad to see Salamakers go. If, if, if you want. People were saying, you know, Tonali leaving, Tonali born and bred Milan fan. He bleeds red and black. Salamakers bled red and black too, man. Um, yes. For me, not. shit deal. I'm sorry. I agree. Yeah, I mean, you brought this guy in for, what, 11 million? Yeah. Three seasons ago. He's obviously improved. He's developed. It's clear mm-hmm. to see that he's a better player than when he came in. How come you're not making a markup? Literally. I, f- I feel like someone... I feel like Pioli and Salamakers might have fallen out or there were some internal issues yeah, because either. he was being forced out and he was included in a list of players who weren't even playing, like Balotura and Origi. Like, these guys don't feature. Why yeah, is Salamakers' name there? He was a key player. He's, he scored two of the only goals Milan scored in the Champions League groups. Yeah. You know, um, I think it's strange and I think they're in a rush to get rid of him. And Bologna don't even have the obligation to buy him. They have the option. So if he flops yeah. over there, they don't even need to get him. Yeah. Plus... Sorry, I'm going to say one more thing. Um, I'm not even sure he'll start with Bologna. I don't think he will. Because no. in Doya or Salini, Ferguson, these guys are really Literally, good. even wing-backs, there's yeah, Posh. on Posh. He's not going to replace Posh. No, and he's a right-sided player, though we yeah. have seen him play out on the left in the Champions League for Milan last season. Um, but yeah, perfectly put, bro. I wish Salamakers the best of luck in Bologna. Um, one thing is for sure, the fans are going to love him because he's a player that just comes in clutch. Um, I feel I had another point to make, yes, and it is about Leao having a much better match than that season opener. He grabbed an assist, 
Um, and he also won the winning penalty before limping off injured and he did earn himself a man of the match award after an underwhelming, like I said, season opener against Bologna. Do not be fooled, Torino will bounce back. They've had a slow start, drawing to Cagliari and getting trashed by Milan. However, this is Ivan Juric's side. Um, and once they get players like Miran Chukon and ticking players like Vlasic. You know who they're bringing in, right? Who? Duvan Zapata. Apparently. Yeah. El Toro signing the bull, bro. Oh, yeah. That's a... Whoa, that would be an episode title. <laughs> El Toro signed the bull. Yes. That's nice. Duvan Zapata. Let's see if this is actually... A step away from Bongiorno. Okay. At- Atalanta. Oh, wow. Atalanta want Bongiorno. And uh, they'll and give them Zapata. And return. Soppy. And Brandon Soppy. Whoa. That's a good deal. Bro. He was a great defender. Scalvini and Bongiorno are the future two starting centre-backs for the Italian and national Bastone, team. Yeah. <sighs> Bastor- that's a three. That's, that's a three a- at the back. That's con- con- bring Conte. Conte. Bring that- that's it. That's it. Conte. Sorry. Sorry. I, I keep calling Spalletti Italiano. I wonder why. I'm going to start calling you Spalletti. So <laughs> But that's enough for this game. We're very excited to watch Milan-Roma next Friday, which will be the highlight game of the week. Yes, the next game we're going to be covering was the last game of match day two. It was Cagliari nil, Inter 2 in Sardinia. Um, Cagliari have won only one of their last 12 Serie A games played against Inter. This was 2-1 in March 2019, thanks to an own goal by Perisic and a goal scored by none other than Leonardo Pavoletti. Nanadadan. Nanadadan. Si è la metti. Senor Pavoletti. The lineups. It was a 4-2-3-1 formation for Claudio Ranieri with Radunovic in goal, Augello as the left back and Zappa as the right back with a centre-back partnership of Obert and Dossena. The midfield double pivot was the very disgruntled Sulemana and Makumbu. Yankto was out on the left with Oristiano on the right, Nandes was playing as the 10 and Pavoletti was playing as the striker. For Inter, it was Simona Inzaghi's trademark 3-5-2 formation with Sommer in goal, Darmian Devray and Bastoni at the back, Dumfries as the right wing back and Di Marco as the left wing back, Mkhitaryan, Chalonoglu and Barella in the middle with Thuram and Martinez up front. Now... It all kicked off in the 21st minute when Thuram charged and released the ball intelligently to Dumfries, who got in behind and finished well. Sulemana lost the ball and did a terrible job at tracking back on Dumfries, and yep. this would be a theme. Uh, Sulemana really struggled with the pace of the game in yep. the first half. Thuram, have to say, it was a very um, good pass by him, yes. similar to the Lea one in the sense that was very well weighted perfectly weighted yes yeah and it was kind of a no look no he, like he didn't really bit. move his head that a little obviously. bit you could you could right tell on. the guy has quality yeah yeah Di Marco in the 29th minute played the ball to Lautaro who controlled took a touch beat his man and slotted it home Sulemano was caught in no man's land once again he realized that he should have probably been on Lautaro and went to try to clear the ball off the line desperately but it was too late yeah. Lautaro isn't gonna miss from there um, in the 35th minute um, Ranieri made a tactical change and decided to change things up he took out Pavoletti the target man as they were struggling to to get the ball in the box, to be honest. And when they did, pa- Pavoletti, I believe twice, they got the ball into the box twice while Pavoletti was on. And he forced the header both times. Failed to hit the target, but he was looking dangerous. Yeah, I think considering that Inter had naturally three at the back, that they could have used that pace. 
was the target man the right decision to take out considering that yes. sometimes if they're on the counter attacking down the wing and they play a high ball in the middle then Pavoletti is your man you see yeah. in in the UK in the Premier League um <laughs> it's all about having a big nine up front when you're yeah. losing you know yeah. what i mean yeah, yeah. Um, he brought on Luvumbo and said, "Now Luvumbo is a very technical, yes, dribbler. You know, he's a very dangerous flair player. Um, I liked the introduction of Luvumbo, and he did well. He was forcing many attacks, um, and the rest of the game was pretty much Luvumbo against the world. But what happened then? They were getting the ball into the box, yeah, and they couldn't take their chances. No, you know, at all because no. there was no one to slot the ball exactly." In. Yeah, in the 88th minute, they got particularly close as Lovumbo squared it across goal to Wadzi, who had an empty net for a second, but his shot wasn't powerful enough and he allowed Summer to come flying onto the ball. Yeah, he made Summer look real good he there. He made man. him look real good. <laughs> now he is good, yeah. but he made him look particularly good there. Yeah, um, Cagliari had a penalty appeal towards the end of the game, but in reality, um, I think Cagliari had one shot on target towards the end of the game. Um, mm. And yeah, it was quite a routine victory for Inter. Yeah, Inter are doing a very good job at finishing games off quite early and just taking it easy and, and defending their lead. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they were phased by Cagliari at any point in this game. I think Inter remained organized and I think that was as much of an easy victory as they're going to get, if I'm being quite honest. Yeah, I mean, there aren't any easy games in the league and a 2-0 victory against a newly promoted side yeah. that's known to be tough you know you have Ranieri who's going to make your life hell you could see him from the very beginning he's going tight 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 keep mm-hmm. it tight you know he didn't he didn't want Inter to, yeah. uh, to penetrate at all and it took to be honest two half chances for Inter to score yeah but that's the thing it was out of nothing but yeah goes I'm not saying nothing. it was an easy game for Inter I'm saying that they were so good that at at their not even at their best but but they were comfortable yeah. with the quality that they have they were supremely comfortable winning this game yeah the 71st minute allowed Inzaghi to bring on some newcomers as well as he brought on um, Fratesi Carlos Augusto and Juan Cuadrado in the 77th minute he also introduced Marco Arnautovic as these guys continue to settle they also brought in Sensi in the 82nd minute I understand giving him only eight minutes, you know, you don't want to risk him, he's made of glass. Um, yeah, well, Shomorodov, for example, was brought in in the 85th. This guy can't seem to... I know it's early days, It's, uh, but, but I, I don't know, man. You join a newly promoted side, I think you'd want to be a protagonist, especially as someone who's coming from Roma at the end of the day. Look, and, and I mean, even last season at Spezia, he had many an opportunity to show us his quality. Um, yeah. This is a guy that when he joined Roma, we said... Mourinho found, not his guy, but he found a very Mourinho-esque kind of jolly yes. to bring on, the same way he had a Debayor at, at Real Madrid kind of thing. Um, but but unfortunately, I I really haven't been impressed um, by Shumorodov when seeing him playing, man, in Serie A. Yeah, same. Funny quote from Denzel Dumfries after the game. Oh, yeah. He said, the coach is always very excited on the side of the pitch. <laughs> he speaks a lot. Sometimes I don't listen. Because it's too much. I know him now. It's good. He motivates me to attack, so I like it. He also <laughs> said that he's happy when he has to go on the other side. Yeah, that, 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 that's great for a manager to hear, no? Yeah, the guy just exactly. wants me to shut the fuck yeah. up and he wants to be as far away exactly. from me he as possible. He thinks I'm emotional and he doesn't listen. Yeah, no, I'm his no, wife. No, <laughs> no fucking micromanaging the same way that fucking Mourinho used to micromanage Luke, Luke Shaw. Shaw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
You may have seen his body, <laughs> but I was his mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so two will- wins on the trot for Inter as they continue their impressive start to the season. Yes, sir. The next game we're going to be covering is Napoli 2, Sassuolo 0. Napoli were coming off a 3-1 away win against newly promoted Frosinone, while Sassuolo were coming off a 2-0 home loss against Atalanta. Napoli are now unbeaten in their last six league games against Sassuolo, where they won four games and drew two. In In this period, they've scored an average of 3.4 goals per match. Napoli have won both of their first two league games of a season in eight of their last 12 Serie A seasons. No team has more in the same period. The champions of Italy made their home debut in a packed stadium and had Kvaratskhelia back on the bench after muscular issues. Sassuolo welcomed Ruan Tressoldi after suspension in the defeat at Atalanta, but Gregoire Defrel and Filippo Missori were not fully fit. Agustin Alvarez, a long a long-term absentee, and Domenico Berardi still trying to force a move to Juventus. For Napoli, it was their 4-3-3 formation with Alex Meret in goal and the backline of Di Lorenzo, Rahmani, Juan Jesus and Oliveira, a midfield three of Zielinski, Lobotka and Anguissa, Raspadori was out on the left, Politano out on the right and Victor Osimen up front. It was the same formation for Sassuolo with Consigli in goal and the backline of Tolian, Ehrlich, Tresoldi and Vigna. They had Boloca, Lopez and Henrique in the midfield, with Bayrami out on the right instead of Berardi, Lauriente on the left and Pinamonti starting up front. Just 50 seconds into this match, Di Lorenzo's early low cross was volleyed into the near post by Raspadori, hitting the post and being denied a goal against his former side. In the 16th minute, Ossiman managed to score from the penalty spot. The penalty was given away by Boloca, who tripped up Politano inside the area following a great back heel by Di Lorenzo. Ossiman nailed the ball into the top corner, sending Consigli the wrong way. In the 51st minute, Sassuolo, one goal down, still in the match against Napoli. However, Maxime Lopez got a straight red card because he basically told the referee to go fuck himself. <laughs> yeah. um, How straight red for descent. You could see him talking to the referee, the referee looking away. Um, but Maxime Lopez said something as the referee then whistled, looked at him and gave him the red card. When you're asking for it like that, I'm sorry, I'm a big fan of Maxime Lopez, but getting a straight red card for descent when you're still in the game, when there's 40 fucking minutes left to go and more, and your team loses the game simply because of your arrogance then I can't get behind that, I'm afraid. In the 60th minute, just nine minutes later after that, um, Napoli were awarded another penalty. The penalty was awarded after Anguissa's header was blocked by the flailing arm of Tolian. It's the same few that make these defensive errors for Sassuolo. (laughs) Raspadori stepped up to get the goal against his ex, but skied the ball instead. Another thing I dislike, right? is when players step up to take a penalty just so they could get a goal against their former team. Now, sure, mm-hmm. maybe Ossiman took the first one, so they actually wanted Raspadori to take this one, but it just seems a bit arrogant, in my opinion, as well. The same way, like, Tralanoglu mm-hmm. did it against Milan, and he scored, and he fucking did the I can't hear you celebration, and that's, like, respect to him for stepping up and doing that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But when you miss it, you really look like a twat. You know what I mean? And yeah. unfortunately for Raspadori, Looked a bit I like mean, a Raspadori has never been one to show great respect to Sassuolo. Once after their loss against Inter, he went into the Inter dressing room. Yeah, and celebrated and, with yeah, them. What the fuck? Disgusting. 
In the 64th minute, Di Lorenzo finished very cleanly following a great through ball by Gvaratskelia who had just come on and was positioned in a very central area over here. Good to see Gvara back and Di Lorenzo with a firing, firing start to this season. And that is the first point I want to make. Di Lorenzo has two assists and one goal in the opening two games. This isn't reactionary because we've seen him play in the past few seasons as well. I go to say Di Lorenzo is the best right back in the league, yeah. um, the best Italian right back in the world, and he is a world-class footballer. He's so good. Man. There I said it. He's so good. Do you agree with the statement that he's world-class? Um, yes, I don't think there are many right backs who are as good as Di Lorenzo at the moment. I can't yeah. really think of many. I agree. Absolutely. I agree. Even in the opening goal, the way he um, backheeled the ball to Politano, who won the penalty, was like just incredibly intelligent. Um, and he could attack super well and he could defend even better, Mandy Lorenzo. That is what I like about him so much. Napoli have introduced these intense strobe lights following each goal <laughs> in order to create a fire atmosphere whilst killing off any pussies that live with epilepsy. Wow. Don't you think it's a lot like like it's it's in the in the sense that if you're in the stadium and you don't have epilepsy, what an atmosphere. You know what I mean? Score a goal, it's black out and this you boom, 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 these massive strobe lights. But I do think that genuinely it is a concern. If somebody has epilepsy, he can't go watch Napoli because of yeah. that. That really does need to be reviewed. Apologies for my joke about yeah. them being pussies, you know what I mean? It's a bit of a joke, it's a bit of fun, but seriously, they need to sort that shit out, man. I don't know. Um, Napoli, not the people yeah. with epilepsy. <laughs> I don't know much about epilepsy. Um, <laughs> I, I just know that the, the vibes are cool, though, after a goal, when the lights start flashing. Yeah, it's like, cool. It's the same way it is in the beginning of games, and they do it in the San Siro as well. But it's not that that intense. Like literally, when it was blacking out, you couldn't see anything on the screen. Yeah, there's been a goal. There's been a goal for, for Sampdoria. Sampdoria against Venezia, and it's S S Estanis Estanis Estrinas. Yeah. Okay, it's Pedrola. Estrinas <laughs> <laughs> Pedrola. Yeah, he has his first name um, yeah, on the back sure. of his shirt. Yeah. Um, Guevara is back yes. Grabbing himself an assist Moments after coming on yeah. um, To think that Napoli could be more dangerous Hey, I mean what a, Again, what a start to the season For Napoli um, Showing that their Main pieces Despite Guevara Coming from an injury Contributed immediately Upon entry um, Ozzie Menz off to a flying start As well Di Lorenzo looks amazing um, they they look good. They look good. They look very good under Rudy Garcia as well. Absolutely, man. Um, I do think Sassuolo have had quite a tough start um, to the season. They had the opening game against Atalanta, uh, despite Frosinone making quick work of Atalanta this match. Well, not quick work, but they beat them. Um, now they played Napoli. Now in their next game, it's an interesting one because they play Verona. Yeah. <laughs> and Verona almost got relegated last season. It went to a relegation playout. Um, where they won because Farah only handled the ball off the line. Yeah. But now they're one of the few teams that got two wins on the trot in the opening two games. So it's not going to be another easy game for Sassuolo. Do you have a prediction for that? Um, I think Verona might upset. Um, Maxim Lopez will be out. Berardi will probably not feature. Um, yeah. Depends. I mean, the transfer market closes tomorrow. So we'll see if they play him or not. I mean, he'll probably still be at Sassuolo. The question is, will he be training with the team? Will he be um, making himself available? 
Yeah. Um, I do think Sassuolo looked a bit better defensively in this game. Um, we can't really judge them because of Maxime Lopez's early red card, of nice course. Nice one. Um, Pinamonti, 10 touches all game, looked like a ghost, isolated. Um, not really. He hasn't really clicked with his teammates yet, and it's been over a season now. It's about yeah. time that he starts. Do you, do you see anything? Sacrifice a bit. Do you do you do you see anything in Mulattieri that would make you think he should be starting ahead of Pinamonti? Honestly, I don't think it'll be long before he gets a start if Pinamonti keeps this up. Mm. I don't think Pinamonti's indisplaceable. I think mm. I think he can easily be benched. Yeah, uh, I I agree with you. I agree with you. He's been a ghost for a season and this one now, basically. Yeah. I think Napoli look good. I think they still look fluid. I think they look very organized as well under Rudy Garcia. I can't really say much because it was the two opening matches, one against one against Frosinone um, and the other against, obviously, Sassuolo, which we just described. But yeah, that's it for this rundown. Yeah, we're going to be moving on to Juventus 1, Bologna 1. Um, an upset, you could call it an upset. Um, Maybe. That was filled with controversy, right? It was the first real controversial game of the season and the authorities took action and we'll get yeah. into it very soon. Um, apologies if you hear whining in the background. They we won't. do not have um, a woman locked up. That's our dog. <laughs> That's our very old dog. Um, Alan has met him. Yeah, our patron. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I, I think I think he's mi- missing his Mexican mama. Yes, man. If yes, you're listening, he, Alan, he loved her. Alan, he yeah. absolutely loved her. And yeah. he's he's so restless right now. I don't know what's going on with him. Yeah, it's a combination probably of dementia, we, being blind. Being yeah, deaf. we we. <laughs> I mean, probably some of those. Probably the low key yeah. arthritis that he has as well yeah. isn't helping. Um, we also record without the AC on, guys, and it's like 30 degrees over here so that you guys can have the best sound quality possible. And, we, and he hates it. He, he hates, hates it, of course. He hates it. Dog wants the AC on. Yeah. But anyway, um, Juve are unbeaten in their last 23 Serie A matches against Bologna. They have 17 wins and 6 draws. For the Bianconeri, it is their longest current unbeaten streak in the competition. So let's get into the lineups. For Juve, it was a 3-5-2 formation with Perin in goal, Sandro Bremer and Danilo at the back with Cambiazo out on the left and Wea out on the right. Rabio, Locatelli and Fagioli were in the middle with Vlaovic and Chiesa up front. For Thiago Motta's Bologna, it was a 4-2-3-1 with Skorupski in goal. Liko Giannis as the left back, Posh as the right back, Beukema and Lukumi at the back. With Moro and Aubicher in the double pivot, Orsolini was out on the right, and Doya was out on the left, Ferguson was in the 10, and Zergzi was playing up front. Zergzi had a, an impressive match. Yeah, time. I agree. So, it all started in the 22nd minute. Um, it took an excellent overhead kick from Bremer to keep the ball away from a streaking Ferguson, although Bologna recycled the ball and forced a save out of per- Perrin when Doya went for a goal from a tight angle. Um, in the 24th minute, Bologna went direct. Abusher, Moro, Zerxi and Ferguson linked up well to shock Juve. Zerxi held up the ball and flicked it off to complete Ferguson's 1-2. What a tidy player he can be. And they took the lead over there. In the yeah. 38th minute, there was a cross from Wea. It struck a sliding Lukumi in the arm and was deflected behind. In seasons past, this would have been an immediate penalty, but the centre-back was reprieved by a new point of emphasis in the ever-changing handball rule. It stipulates <laughs> that if a player is actively breaking his fall with his arm, then he's not committing a foul if yeah. the ball hits it. So basically, because yeah. he was breaking his fall, because he was falling onto his arm and the ball hit it, that is not 
a foul. That's not a handball. Yeah. Then, yeah. Therefore, not a penalty. That was the most controversial call for Juve. Mm-hmm. Then, Bologna piled on the pressure after the goal and Juve didn't seem to have a response. In the first half, Juve had an XG of 0.04 goals. So they didn't really create anything. In the 53rd minute, Sandro lifted the ball to Bremer, who rose high and headed it across the face of goal to Vlaovic, who volleyed it in. Skorupski got his hand on it, but couldn't keep it out. However, celebrations were cut short as Rabiot had been in an offside position during the build-up play. Apparently, he was blocking the view of the goalkeeper, but this was also controversial, and many people are debating whether this was actually fair or not controversial. It's true. The 70th minute was the talk of the town as Zerk Zay's shot was spilled by Perrin and fell into the path of Ndoya, who was running in. He had an open net, but Illing Jr. flew into him and connected with his man, forcing him to miss the ball. <coughs> there was no VAR, there was no penalty, and the Bologna officials were absolutely furious. And no red card. Yes. The, the Bello actually did show a red card to one of Bologna's assistant coaches, and they yellow to Motta himself. Yeah. Motta's one of those people that when he's shocked, he smiles. He yes, he, he laughs. laughs. <laughs> <laughs> book or something, man. <laughs> Jesus. It's like when you double booked my table, massive <laughs> smile on his face. <laughs> you know the type, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, controversial. In the 89th minute, Pogba played Illing Jr. down the wing. The English starlet whipped the ball into Vlaovic, who scored a stunning header, a great header. Um, probably yeah. a goal of the week contender as well, because that yeah. header was not an easy yeah. one. And True number nine header. Honestly, headed header. To, to perfection. Now, the talking points, there is Illing Jr.'s foul, right? Yeah. It had already been reported today that the AIA would suspend both referee Marco Di Bello and the two VAR officials, Francesco Furneo and Luigi Nasca. Nasca? Nasca, yeah, I guess. For one or two months as a result to the area. I believe it's, it's a two-month suspension for the referees. Do you think this is fair? I think so. I think action needs to be taken, um, especially when officials such as the referee in the scenario doesn't go to check VAR and VAR fail to call the referee over when there's a debate, when there's an infringement, especially when it's favoring the attacking team. And in this situation, to me, what it looked like from a consumer of Serie A, right? It looked like the striker had an open goal and it looked like he was stopped from a clear Yes. Goal-scoring opportunity whereby there was contact with the man inside the box, causing him to lose his balance and zero contact with the ball whatsoever. That to me is not only a penalty, but it's a red card yes, as well. Yes, that's it. That's that's, it. that's the clearest one. The one of of um, Lukumi breaking his fall. You understand it. It's in the rule book. Mm. You know what I mean. The the one of um, Rabion on offside position. I hate those, but it's consistent. Yes. You see, up until three years ago, Kessie against Napoli. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And 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 though Giroud against Napoli G- on the floor. Giroud. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think I think so as well. Um, in the Champions League as well, we see it. So these aren't new calls, but when there's so those they shouldn't be suspended for. But that clear cut penalty, that clear cut red card. Is I'm I'm sorry, but it's a it's a bullshit call. Yeah, they and should if, have taken a look. If they don't take these, if they don't punish, then there are going to be no statements made. Exactly, exactly. And with the sorry, one more thing with the controversy Syria has had with its referees over the past two decades, there's no room for that. Exactly. So the federation are looking after their reputation as well. Yeah, yeah, totally. 
Um, Bologna are growing early on. Yeah. Um, they look good against Milan. They look well. good against Milan. That's what I was going to say. Just a testimony of how how dominant Milan were in that game and how yeah. they were actually playing a pretty good team. Mm. Um, they gave Juve a really hard time over here. And I think Allegri was even outcoached by Motta for the majority of the game. Bro, Motta is one hell of a coach. He, he is one hell of a Motta coach. is one hell of a tactician, one hell of an innovator, one hell of a man manager, one hell of an in-game manager. Motta is going to be great. He's already fantastic. Mm-hmm. Motta is going to be a great manager in yes, the future. Yes, I, I see that happening. Um, Indoye looks very solid. Ooh, I'm a Indoye, big fan yeah, of Indoye. Those In- of you who play Fanta Culture will pick him up. Indoye, right? Or Indoy, whatever. Indoye. Well, Indoye, whatever anyone wants to call him. Um, was doing a fantastic job at stretching that back three of Juve. Yeah. Sandro Bremer, Danilo are quite compact, right? Okay, Danilo a natural right back, Sandro a natural left back, so they are capable mm-hmm. of bombing down the flanks if needed or going wide if needed. But when they're defending, they're very compact, right? And Indoye was creating so much space for his teammates by dropping super wide, dragging Danilo with him and creating an area of space that either Zergze or Ferguson was fitting into. Typically, it was Zergze and he was getting the first touch at the first post and Ferguson would come in behind or Orsolini would come in from behind. But Indoye, through his movement, created so much trouble for Juve yes. in this game. And same can be said about Zergze, totally stretching the line. This was um, a playbook on how to beat Juventus, I think, yep. because Bologna stretched into oblivion and they couldn't do anything. Plus, I feel like Sandro was exposed again this game. I think uh, so, yeah. The first goal, you could watch him, you could see him taking out his, his own teammate, <laughs> Bremer. <laughs> oh, Bremer, so the, op- the opposition. Bre- Bremer, I'm, I'm all, I don't always watch Juve. I watch most Serie A games, but sometimes Juve just so happened to be the ones that I miss watching. Um, but whenever I watch Bremer, I'm always impressed by him, man. Mm-hmm. He's, he's so he's good. So good. The same can be said about Danilo, I'm a big fan. Yeah, exactly. Well, oh, last season and this mm-hmm. season, because we have seen Danilo have some tough times yeah, in the past. But I think he's been a, a real leader at Juve. Yeah, recently. I think so. He found his place. Yes. Um, Vlaovic in the first half had 13 touches. Here we go. Fewer than both goalkeepers, 15 and 17. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but goes to show how it's a result of a lack of service because you give Vlaovic the ball, he's an excellent finisher, probably world class. How many touches does Haaland get for City? Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's he still scores. Right? Same thing, man. Yeah. Well, not the same thing because he's not scoring five goals a fucking yeah. game. <laughs> um, but the system's different, right? Yeah, but, but Vlaovic on City, I wonder how many he'll score. Yeah, and. Vlaovic is do, do not get it twisted he's in a system that doesn't favor him but he is top two best strikers in the league yeah, yeah. definitely with, without yeah. debate Locatelli was underwhelming and Chiesa had no shots so again hmm. are the men of Juve really being utilized well probably not well in, in, in this game against Bologna obviously second game so we still need to see in this game against Bologna Bologna is such an organized side um, that, that, that it is tough to perform well against them. And I think you've uh, simply fell victim to that. Um, I think some of the top teams would struggle against yeah. Bologna. Yeah, for sure. So yes, um, that's it. Juve's woes have begun. Let's see if they can overcome them. Um, while Bologna look to be growing into the season very early on. Yeah. You said that that was a bit of an upset. Hellas Verona 2, Roma 1. Biggest upset, in my opinion, of this match day. Um, Hellas were coming off a 1-0 away win at Empoli. 
while Stromer coming off a 2-2 home draw to Salernitana, where Kandreva turned into Baggio. Hellas Verona have lost 33 of their 64 Serie A matches against Roma, where they won 11 and drew 20. 11? 11 only against Inter, 39, and Juventus, 36, have they suffered more defeats in the competition. Jose Mourinho was still sitting out a touchline ban because he literally did everything illegal and said everything illegal there was to do say and whatever yeah they said he, he like lit a joint on the on yeah the touch, the touch exactly. line, started like, ripping lines yeah. of cocaine like on the on the bench swearing you know yeah. <laughs> I mean he attacked the referee it's not uh, I'd rather have someone do a bump like that then, then, <laughs> then attack the ref yeah then you just have the goat no I, then yeah. you just have the goat exactly <laughs> with massive bags yeah. but Mourinho had Dybala and Lorenzo Pellegrini back from suspension after the 2-2 draw with Salernitana. Renato Sanchez joined Tani Abraham and Marash Kumbulla on the treatment table. Shocking. Um, Hellas had Davide Faraoni and Isaac Hien available after bans, but Lazovic, Henri, Hrustic and Braff were still injured. When it comes to the lineups, it was a 3-4-1 formation for Hellas Verona with Montepo on goal and the backline of Davidovic, Hien and Magnani. They had Dreg out on the left and Terracciano out on the right with Duda and Hongla forming the double pivot. Folorunso and Ingonj played behind the massive Ivan Juric. For Roma, it was a 3-5-2 formation with Rui Patricio on goal and the backline of Mancini, Smalling and Lorente. Christensen was on the right and Zalewski on the left with a midfield three of Cristante, Paredes and Pellegrini. Belotti and Dybala started up front together. In the fourth minute, well, it only took four minutes for Verona to open the scoring. Duda, the man whose name means small willy in Maltese, finished into an empty net after Patricio spilled a long-range Terracciano strike and Duda only had an open net left to beat. 1-0 to Verona. Cristante hit the post shortly after with a header at the near post following a Pellegrini corner. Cristante is super, super involved for Roma constantly. In the 15th minute, Pellegrini showed great technique to skip past three players with superb, superb technique before striking the ball just wide as he was clean through on goal. He will be disappointed with the outcome of that. In the 48th minute, in additional time of the first half, in Gonj doubled Verona's lead. Duda launched a brilliant long ball on the counter-attack to Ingonj, who used his pace well to take the ball into the opposition area, made quick work of Smalling and finished into the far corner, making it 2-0. In the 54th, there was a brilliant and brave save by Montepo following a Mancini header as a goalkeeper dove into the feet of Bellotti to deny the Italian. In the 56th minute, Awar got one back for Roma, Belotti and Montepo clattered into each other, but Belotti managed to get there before the goalkeeper, heading into the path of Awar, who headed into the empty net. His first goal for Roma. In the 84th minute, Hien was sent off as he denied Belotti a clear goal-scoring opportunity after pulling the striker down to the ground. From the resulting free kick, Pellegrini hit the post in spectacular, spectacular fashion. Another disappointing result here for Roma in the first game. We saw them blow a lead to Salernitana and coming 2-2. This time, similar. So in the last game against Salernitana, that 60% ball possession and they only managed to get away with a point. In this game, that 71% ball possession and they didn't manage to win the game. They actually didn't even get a single point. What do you make of Roma so far? 
So Roma have always been uncomfortable when you let them have the ball. Yep. And this was a great example of that because Verona barely had the ball. Verona barely attacked, but when they did, they blew them off. They the were board. super they opportunistic. They were devastating. Yep. Yes, devastating. And I think that's the, the case right now. Um, you have this Roma team over here who are lacking confidence. You know, I believe Dybala went off injured, right, as well? Yes, actually, uh, sorry, I forgot to mention, Dybala did go off injured. I'm not sure how serious that is either. Um, evaluating him for the Milan game, apparently, nothing serious. Yeah, um, I mean, Roma already, th- their injury list is already growing from early on in the season. And we've, we've seen them seasons on in the past, they've always had that issue, man. Mm-hmm. And um, Mourinho has recently come out to say that if Renato Sanchez had been doing well in his career, he would be starting at PSG. And yeah. if Dybala hadn't had any problems, then he would be elsewhere. Yeah. Um, basically saying that Roma has become a team that is forced to rehabilitate players who yeah. have lost their way. Yeah, and th- there's a direct quote here. Um, is it a surprise that Renato can't play tomorrow? No, it's no surprise given how things have gone for him over the last two seasons. If Renato had been playing to a high standard and had been injury-free, then he would be a nailed-on starter at PSG. And he would never have ended up on loan at Roma. It's the same as the Dybala situation last season. So many clubs had their doubts over his fitness and that's how we managed to sign him. This is our reality. I mean, classic Mourinho in the sense that he's saying the truth, but sometimes it's just better not to say this because maybe you're putting down the players that are representing you, putting down the players that are working hard for you. Um, no, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. It's, it's just extra drama and added hassle now he understands the situation he understands that the freedkins are there to solve a financial a financial catastrophe that's been left over from previous owners you know and they're doing it well and when you said mm-hmm. only a week ago that you know they didn't just pick guys off the street to replace Matic. No. they brought in renato sanchez and paredes who are well-known names he was praising them and now all of a sudden they're a team full of incompetent players who need to be rehabilitated you know, I don't know. I don't know what more the Friedkins can do. They literally, the Friedkin himself piloted the flight that Lukaku was on. Did you see that? No, yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah apparently That's so. That's insane. The, yeah. the most tracked flight in history. In history, yes. To see where way. Lukaku is. That's hilarious. Yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> That's hilarious. But anyway. Roma had 71% ball possession, as I mentioned earlier, but they did miss a bunch of chances, which is quite reminiscent of their season last season. However... This season, they also look vulnerable at the back, whereas last season, they didn't at all. And I do think that the factor is, firstly, Rui Patricio, not a great goalkeeper. I'm sorry, he's a bit it's older a now, yes. and, and he's not great. He was shit last season. He spilled the shot in, in this goal, um, in the first goal. And Smalling might be showing his age a little bit. Um, last weekend, he got fucked by Kandreva on the first goal, as he ran at... He, he, he ran at pace, Kandreva. He, he describes it as Kandreva ran at pace to the Englishman. <laughs> yeah, like, can you imagine Kandreva running at pace? He's <laughs> older than Smalling, like 36, 36 years old. Then in this match, he, he got done, in, in a, he got fucked again, this time by Cyril Ngonj in a one on one, which, all right, Ngonj is, is way quicker than Smalling, but there was, in the, when he dribbled past him, they were facing each other. And with one simple movement, 
Smalling hit the deck like he was yeah. he was on the ground he was so confused by Cyril Ngonj like yes. so bad start by them very bad start and I do think the defensive part does come down to Smalling and Rui Patricio mm. for the time being would you agree with that yes um, they need to shake off the the rust yeah the, the ring rust the ring rust um, also last season Roma hit the woodwork over thirty times and the previous season saw a similar trend it was around the same amount. Last week they hit the post once and uh, this weekend they hit the post twice. So they are on course to hitting the highs <laughs> that they did in the past few seasons. When it comes to Hellas Verona, they are looking much more like a team this season. They are defending as a unit and attacking well on the break. Um, like we said yesterday, they, they, yesterday, like we said in the last episode, um, very selective when it comes to um, when they counterattack and when they just sit back and say, okay, now we have the ball kind of thing um, and even like that ball by Duda to Cyril Ngon showed that perfectly it's like we're not going to launch the ball very often but in this case I'm launching the ball down the wing that was the right decision yeah yeah definitely um, is that it yep that's pretty much it for then me we can bro. move on to the other side of Rome I swear to god no one smiled in Rome this weekend no no one smiled in Rome and guys I have just heard back some of the podcast and I can't confirm that you are hearing our dog whining um, apologies for that but I don't think he has long left yes, so. it'll be a problem of the past in no time <laughs> um, <laughs> not only because of bullies inevitable demise yeah. but because uh, we have the studio ready yes, yes. well ready pretty, pretty it's much got, it's got paint and an AC. And an AC and tiles. But yes, that's yeah. it. it sounds good. We should start recording there. We'll do it from next episode. Yeah. But anyway, yes, Lazio nil Genoa won. Lazio had won six of their previous seven home matches against Genoa and say, oh, with one loss in this period, they scored an average of three goals per game. So Genoa came into this game with very little hope of beating Lazio. <clears throat> This is the second time Lazio lost their first two league games of the season. The first was in 2018-19 when they lost against Napoli and Juve. So it was more excusable back then. Now, you know, there's yeah. no real excuse for it. My so, God, man, zero points for Lazio on the first two games. Yeah, terrible, terrible, terrible. Um, 4-3-3 for Maurizio Sarri, as always. Um, Provedel was in goal with Maurizio as the left-back and Lazzari as the right-back. Romagnoli and Trasala were the centre-back partnership. Luis Alberto, Cataldi and Kamada were in the middle with Zaccani out on the left, Anderson out on the right and Immobile up front. For Gilardino's men, it was a 4-3-2-1 formation with Martinez in goal, Sabelli on the right and Vasquez on the left with Dragosin and Bani as the centre-back duo. Frendrup, Badel and Strutman were in the middle with Malinowski and Goodmanson playing behind Retegui. In the 16th minute, Genoa were rewarded for their early ventures forward when a quick attacking move allowed Retegui to latch onto a loose ball following a Provedel save. The Argentine-Italian striker easily headed the ball into the back of the Lazio net, putting, away <coughs> putting the away side 1-0 up. Excuse me. Lazio got better but couldn't quite penetrate Genoa as they held firm. In the 65th minute, Immobile struck the crossbar and by the end of the game, Lazio had 16 shots in an XG of 1.45, yet they didn't manage a single point out of this match. They were almost awarded a penalty at the end, but VAR ruled it out. Um, and that was basically the game in a nutshell, as Genoa played some beautiful haram ball over here. And haram ball? Haram ball, yes. Why haram ball? It's a catenaccio, no, kind of. Yes, is, is, that, is that what they're calling it? In English, it right? Haram ball. <laughs> <laughs> what? Because it's haram, bro. Um, 
Yes, I must say that I am extremely impressed with Albert Goodmanson. Oh, he's Albert looks great. Albert player. looks very good, he's man. He's saucy, bro. He's big confident with him. Big Al. He's so good. He's so yeah. technical and so smart. Yeah. Um, you picked the, up him and Malinovsky yes, and Fanta. Fuck it. All the Genoa boys. Yeah. Um, and they've also got Junior Messias over there, so it's going to get good for, for Genoa. It's going to oh, yeah, definitely man. get better. Definitely. Um, I believe Tangai in Dombele has also been linked to Genoa. I think he's going. Well, they've yeah. got a day to do it. Yeah. So they better get cracking. Oh, oh my Jesus, what a God. goal. Okay. Venezia <laughs> scored a stunning free kick. Who's that, bro? And our TV got no, started. All right, we're good. Ah, the Tesman. American Tesman. Did if you guys, of the Americans. If you guys watched Ronaldo's free kick in the Champions League for United against Arsenal, where United were wearing that blue kit, the one too far for Ronaldo to think about it. Oh! <laughs> and it was Almunia in goal. Same thing, bro. Yeah, same thing. So back to the Lazio game. So first of all, Lazio have sent Akpak pro to Monza, mm-hmm. and they've brought great in, signing for Monza. Great signing, and they've brought in Guendouzi from Marseille. Now, I, I might argue that they, they should have kept Akpakro instead of bringing in Gwenduzi because Akpakro had a fantastic season last year. But I don't know. I haven't seen much of Gwenduzi. Gwenduzi is good. He's, he's quite physical. He's tough and he's a good passer of the ball. So he, he could do well. Um, but I'm not sure because Akpakro yeah. looked like fucking Patrick Vieira last season. Yeah, he was so good. Sorry, had this to say after em- the game. Empoli had the opportunity to keep him and they didn't, man. Oh, my God. Akpakro. Okay, so Sarri said two completely different matches while referring, of course, to the opening two games of the season. The one in Lecce was a game of apathy. This evening we approached it badly because of repercussions that the previous game left us. In the end, we played a good match. We didn't give up. We lacked a bit of focus and a bit of quality. We never allowed Genoa to counter and in some respects, it's a huge step forward compared to Lecce. Now we have to find the quality of our quality players. <laughs> well. um, yes, okay, it's true they were set up better and it's true that Genoa didn't really counter, but they didn't really make anything tick. They couldn't take their chances, this game Lazio, at all. Here I was thinking that Lazio were at that stage because they got so much better last season than they were in the previous seasons, mm-hmm. coming second in the league, that they won't look at a loss against Genoa as a step up in their performances. Yeah. But he needs to be objective and he needs to say, we lost against a newly promoted side and we lost the first game of the season as well. So whilst there might be truth to what he's saying, it just shows a bit what the mentality of the club is, man. Yeah. Or what the mentality of Sarri is, rather. And Sarri also said that in the 79th minute when he brought in Castellanos for Cataldi, mm. um, it was because he saw many balls flying in, but it actually caused a lot of confusion having two target men in and they completely lost any form of cohesion mm. they had. And that probably stopped them from getting into the game mm. because a game like this would take a goal in the between the 80th and the 90th minute, yeah, right? Yeah, you often yeah. see an equalizer at that time and they yeah. just couldn't do it because they couldn't get everything to tick. Still yeah, early just, days. They have, they're getting used to playing without their, their everything. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it is detrimental. Um, I'm not saying that their entire season is going to be compromised because of that, albeit it probably will be. Um, but they could still hit highs. It's still early on in the season. Yes, they are going to be... Um, in a slump about these opening two losses. It's terrible losing your first two. After that long wait to get back to football, they get back and they give us two shit performances like they did. It's disappointing and the players will feel it most. The club will feel it most. So they are going to be down about it. But we'll see what their reaction is going to be. Coming into this game, Kamada had only had 11 days of training. I mean, it's still very early days, right? 
Um, in the first 15 minutes, Slater gave away the ball 15 times. To the My opponent. God. Yes, it, it wasn't a good game by them at all. And Genoa looked to really show off for the first time after getting absolutely thumped by Fiorentina. They did yeah. demonstrate what they can do. Retegui scoring his first in Serie Yes, sir. The next game we're going to be covering is Frozenone 2, Atalanta 1. Yet another upset. Frozenone coming off a 3-1 loss to Napoli at home after they started very well in that game. Um, Atalanta coming off a 2-0 away victory against Asuolo. Um, before we get into this, I have to point out that Frozenone have just signed a 2002 talent from Real Madrid, Reiner Jesus, who is an attacking midfielder. Unfortunately, that's all I can tell you about him because I don't know anything else yeah. about him. Um, in two home games against Atalanta and Serie A, Frozenone have earned just a single point courtesy of a 0-0 draw in January 2016. After that, Frozenone lost their other home match against the Bergamaschi mm-hmm. um, 5-0 at home in January 2019. Among the teams Atalanta faced more than twice in Serie A, Frozenone are the only side that have never scored against Atalanta in four matches, 11 goals by the Dea and zero by the Chio- Chiocari or the Chachari, whatever that is. Um, La Dea were still missing the injured El Bilal Touré, Hans Hatteber and Jose Luis Palomino. Um, on the other hand, Frosinone lost goalkeeper Stefano Turati to suspension after he was caught on camera using a blasphemous phrase, which in the Italian language is the worst kind of swearing. Hey, no, no articles say, man. Um, they threw Kedira and Barineccia straight into the starting eleven after loans from Napoli and Juventus, respectively. Now, when it comes to the starting lineups um, for Frosinone, it was a 4-2-3-1 formation with Cero Folini in goal and the backline of Marchizza, Romagnoli, Monterisi and Oyono. Um, the double pivot of Barincea and Mazzitelli with Baez out on the left, Gelli out on the right and Harrui playing behind Kedira. For Atalanta, it was a 3-4-1-2 formation with Juan Musso on goal on the backline of Scalvini, Jim City and Kolasinac. Zappa Costa was out on the right, whilst Ruggeri was out on the left with Dejon and Edison forming double pivot. Coke Miners just ahead of them with Lukman and Zapata up front. Once again, Frosinone started very quickly and it was the same guy that started quickly against Napoli, that started quickly against Atalanta, Harrui. Uh, Marquezza did extremely well to dispossess Lukman well inside Atalanta's half thanks to the high press. Uh, Harui collected the ball, advanced into the area and slotted into the bottom corner very well. Harui is looking like a very big asset for the side. Yeah, he's really stepping up, he's hey, really taking on the responsibility to carry this team as one of the players would say uh, experience. Yeah, and I do think that Marquezza did an extremely... He did a great job to dispossess Lukman over there. The high press was real by Frosinone. They're not here to fuck around, man. In the 24th minute, Frosinone made it to uh, Monterisi scored. Following a corner, Romagnoli rose highest and knocked the ball into the air. And it fell to Monterisi, who flicked the ball in with the outside of his boot. It was absolutely shambolic defending by Atalanta, who didn't manage to get to the ball. First, twice in this action. Zappacosta looked destined to score in the 29th minute as the ball bounced perfectly in front of him inside the area, right in front of the goalkeeper, who was begging for a miracle at that point. But as the Italian struck the ball with serious venom, Monterisi, the scorer of the second goal, produced a fantastic block, extending himself perfectly and bravely into harm's way. 
In the 56th minute, however, Atalanta did manage to get one back as Zappa Costa received the ball inside the area with his back towards goal. And oh my god, I said Zappa Costa, apologies. Zapata in the 56th minute received the ball inside the area with his back towards goal and quickly turned past Monterisi and firing it in past Cherofolini with great power. What a goal by Zapata rolling back the airs. In the 68th minute, a slick passage of play by Atalanta found Scalvini right in front of the keeper, but Cherofolini did extremely well to deny the Italian centre-back, dropping down well. Frosinone held on well, putting their bodies on the line and denying Atalanta's fire firepower in Scamacca, Decay, Telare, Cope Miners and Co. Now, when it comes to the talking points, bro, just like their season opera against Napoli, Frosinone looked fast, fluid and organised for the team that they are, and they're not scared of taking the game to their opponents. They also play with a super high press at the start of matches and try to defend a lead rather than letting their opponents grow into the game as they find their own feet. It's such a brave move by Frosinone and by Eusebio Di Francesco, man. And we were saying that Fra Di Francesco would be the first manager sacked. But we're looking mm. at some high-profile teams who have yet to record a victory. And Frosinone here on one win against Atalanta and one loss against Napoli in which they scored the opening goal, man. Yes, they're playing like the champions of Serie right? They're yeah. playing like the, a team that has won a league last season. And yeah. that's what they are at the end of the day. Um, these guys would be used to winning week in, week out. So so I guess that would mold someone into a person who hates losing, right? A sore loser, perhaps. So yeah, maybe they're giving it their all. And they're making some smart signings. Um, Berenchea from Juventus in the middle is a very nice little buy. The two Sassuolo boys they brought in and Harlui and Markets are having a great time. Romagnoli is an experienced defender at the back over there. Kedira they've brought in, playing yep. up front. He was playing for Bari, another experienced striker. They've got it. They've got it good. Frosinone. They're they're playing very well, and they've just slayed a, a giant. You know. Yeah, I do think that out of the newly promoted sides, out of the the opening two games, I do think that they look the most dangerous. They look the the most capable, the most fluid. Of, yeah, the most. The mo they're they're fast. They're fast. They're opportunistic. You see over here, um, they scored one because of the high press in them, dispossessing Lookman in a dangerous area, and the second through a corner. Not only did the corner, did the player that received the corner, Romagnoli, not make significant contact with it, um, but it managed to fall to another player who managed to get the goal over mm -hmm. there. So really opportunistic stuff by, by Frozenone, who are doing whatever it takes to get a goal. And they look super, super organized when defending. Okay, they park the bus significantly, they throw mm -hmm. all the men back, but they keep their shape. They shift, they press when they need to press, and they hang back when they need to hang back. They look experienced, man. The man of the match, Monterisi, is only 21 years old. He played like a veteran. Fucking hell, yeah, Monterisi yeah. is 21. How yeah. I just assumed he was 32 from right. the way he played, right. man. Um, he was with Lecce early on, which explains why he's so solid defensively. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he, he got such an important goal. He was the hero of this game. Monterisi. When I went to Cinque Terre, one of my favorite players was Mon one of my favorite places was Monterosso, oh, beautiful not. little village. Um, but Monterisi is looking like he's going to be a promising defender with the way that he played. Man, that block in particular, very good game by him. This is a very big loss for Atalanta, bro. They got um, zero points in one of the easier in inverted commas fixtures that they played. So early on in the season, they will be kicking themselves when it comes down to the last match day and they're in dire need for three points. Of course, yes. Um, they'll be looking back saying, how the hell didn't we 
get that done over there, especially if they go on a run towards the end of the season. They'll be like, how, did, how didn't we win hey, that? Hey. And they'll probably be looking at Duvan Zapata, who's no longer there, and saying, oh, that's why we didn't win. Hey. That. <laughs> that idiot was up front. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's the guy that got the he's goal the over there. The goal. Not Zappa Costa, because I, I made that mistake exactly. earlier. What do you think of Skamaka so far? He hasn't been featuring from the uh-huh. first bell. Which is... Which was expected, to be honest, because Gasperini has this weird rotation system he loves. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he should be on two assists already, personally. He played, in the first game, he played Decatur Lare through. He, he, hit the, he hit the crossbar. Yeah. And in this game, I forgot who it was, but he laid the ball off to someone perfectly and he missed. Well. Scalvini. 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 That was yes. a beautiful passage beautiful of play. Pass. yes. So Skamaka definitely looks selfless. He looks ready. He looks like he's in good shape as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he'll I get think firing, man. He'll be a protagonist for them. I think so as well. But that's all from this match. I'm excited to see more of Frosinone this season. They're a bit of a dark horse, aren't they, man? As in, as in not to fucking... For, for survival. For, for survival. We, we both, I believe I had them in last and so did you. Yeah, I, think, I had them man. in last as well. Little, little did I know eh, that they're, that they're hey, so man. lit because they, they removed Grosso and we thought they were all Grosso all Grosso and that everything was Grosso but clearly there, there's continuity in the starting 11 and clearly the Francesco has found a team that he could work with and man. they brought in a manager with an interesting style as well an offensive style you know so yeah. Di Francesco so I guess he might not be too different to, to Grosso exactly but yes um, the next game we're going to be covering is Fiorentina 2 Lecce 2 Lecce attempted 33 dribbles on match day one, <laughs> of which 17 were successful. Both records in Serie A this season. In particular, Pontus Almquist completed seven, <laughs> a record for a Lecce player in a top flight match since 2012 against Siena. And guess who the players were against Siena to, to complete so many dribbles? For who? For Atalanta? For, for, Lecce. for Lecce. One completed eight, the other completed ten. I have no idea. Juan Cuadrado... Oh, Luis Muriel. Oh my God, bro. <laughs> I love this shit. I love that this shit. So it's Alm- Pontus Almquist. Pontus Almquist, not to be confused with Marcus Aurelius, the yes. great stoic <laughs> from back in the day. But yes, for Fiorentina, it was a 4 2 3 1 formation with Christensen in goal, and Parisi as the left back, and Dodo as the right back, Milenkovic and Martinez Quarta as a centre back duo. Duncan and Arthur were in the double pivot with Sotil on the left and Nico Gonzalez on the right. Bonaventura was playing as a trequartista with Beltran getting the nod up front this time. Of course, Terracciano didn't start in goal. He was starting for Verona on the right wing. Yeah. No? <laughs> Two different players, guys. Two different players. <laughs> For Lecce, it was their 4-3-3 formation with Falcone in goal, Jean-Dre as the right-back, Gallo as the left-back, Pongracic and Bascarotto as a centre-back partnership, with Rafia, Ramadani and Gonzalez in the middle, Almqvist on the right, Banda on the left and Strefezza up front. It is interesting to note that Lecce have just brought in Piccoli, Ooh. and he will probably be featuring up front, and they've also confirmed Udon, who was Ooh. with them last season. And he'll be joining them again this season. Yeah, Odan was slick last season for them. So in the third minute, Fiorentina got off to a f- flying start. That's where I was going to say fucking, fucking flying start. start. A fucking flying start. <laughs> Duncan swung in a corner and Nico Gonzalez headed it in. He's not the tallest, but he's so dangerous in the air. Ramadani was marking him and he seemed like he was trying to win a foul, but there wasn't anything in it. Nico Gonzalez scores yet another header. 
In the 25th minute, Beltran, the clever striker, the clever new boy from River Plate playing up front for Fiorentina, played Arthur through, who crossed it into Duncan, who headed it home in a pure slam dunk manner. Yep. Yep. Proper dunk, you know, if there's a dunk in mm. football, that's it. In the 41st minute, Nico flicked Duncan through, but the Ghanaian was denied by the post. Um, Duncan could have got, got two goals in the first yeah. half, basically. Yeah. Um, and it was all Fiorentina the first half, and to be honest... Uh, Everyone thought that they were going to win it. Yeah. Especially course. considering their opening performance against Genoa. Exactly. People thought they were going to blow them out of the water. But as we all know, Lecce do not concede more than two goals. <clears throat> In the 49th minute, Rafia nicked the ball of Beltran and it fell to Banda. The five foot two Zambian held the ball up before Rafia came out of nowhere and curled it into the top corner. Dispossessing his own teammate essentially. <laughs> Banda had the ball and Rafi just kicked it out of his feet and it scored worked. top corner. What a goal! It worked. it worked and Banda still gets the assist. So all yeah. well. Um, in the 76 minutes, minute, minutes after his making his say uh, debut, Nikola Kristovic heads in a deadly Banda cross perfectly between Martinez, Quarta, and Parisi to get the equalizer. What a goal! What a debut for Kristovic and lecture just they're back in it like that yeah in this closing minutes of the game <laughs> Kwame got close to giving Fiorentina the lead it was an added time but he failed to connect to Brekalos cross properly and the game ended 2-2 oh what a result for Lecce they're Once relentless again, man. they're relentless bro. Once again, absolutely relentless actually I think in my prediction I had Lecce last and Frosinone won before the last ah yes you did you did I not remember um, they are incredible. They do not die and they never give up and they'll continue fighting until the very end, until they get something out of the game. Fiorentina, perhaps they took their foot off the gas in this one and I'm sure they weren't expecting Duncan's miss to come back to haunt him. Yeah. Roberto D'Aversa, the new manager of Lecce, actually mm-hmm. seems like he's doing quite a good job as well. It's been a very good debut for a lot of the new, new managers, newcoming yeah. managers yeah. in Serie A, which well. is good, good to see. Considering a lot of them have had negative spells in the past and have been sacked. Like Di Francesco has been sacked from multiple teams like Roma um, and Udinese, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, not Udinese. Hellas Verona. Mm-hmm. Um, whilst Daversa was sacked by Sampdoria last yes, season. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Fiorentina do have potential. Um, of course, they're, they're a great team. I like the way Duncan and Arthur are playing. They're really ticking in the middle over there. And with Amrabat, uh, the, the whole deal with Amrabat seems to be falling through with United. Yeah, I heard he's, now, he's getting frustrated did, with did them. Did you hear the latest offer? Napoli. It was a two million. No, United offered a two million loan for um. Amrabat. But the two million will be paid in separate one million installments. What is this man, me trying to buy my place? Like, <laughs> <laughs> with all the... Uh, but <laughs> all the payment terms I was pulling out of my ass, like... <laughs> yeah, um, Amrabat might be a Milan player, he might be a Napoli player tomorrow, who knows? I didn't. You guys mentioned um, the possibility of him joining Milan, but I was seeing Napoli uh, everywhere. Yeah, I wasn't Napoli, seeing... Italiano explained the difference between Beltran and Inzola, saying that um, Beltran is good in tight spaces and he moves well and he's very intelligent, while Inzola is bigger and faster than most people. Is he subtly calling Inzola an idiot? <laughs> Maybe not, I'm kidding. Uh, but true, they are very different players and um, both very useful and both situational. And a tactician like Italiano, 
would be extremely happy to have the option of deploying both these men because it's depending on the matchup right you can go for the player who will play the midfielders and wingers through or you can go for the target man who's amazing on the counter and who's just powerful and can blast through opponents Fiorentina have one hell of a squad man even this that that you just said the option of having um, Beltran and Inzola up front along with of course Jovic as well Um, three fantastic options for them up front particularly Beltran and Inzola um, even the fact that they have Mandragora in the midfield um, they have Kwame they have Brekalo as well that they can bring on here we saw Parisi starting ahead of Beragi as well um, they have Yerimina on the bench they, they, they just have such a good squad Fiorentina mm. <laughs> and if Italiano manages to expose their qualities and if he manages to get players to play to their strengths and contribute to his system through their strengths then they are going to be a seriously formidable side now this is rich coming from um coming from me after they just threw away a lead to Lecce but the season is long and they have shown us serious quality Fiorentina yes. and the opening match and even in this one that quick start, the fact that Nico Gonzalez has really hit the ground running this season, who, when we see that he's on, he's a fantastic player, one of the best right-wingers mm-hmm. in the league. Um, and I do think there's a bright, bright season ahead for Fiorentina. They clearly have no problem scoring goals, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's totally true. A bit of um, work to do defensively. Mm-hmm. For Lecce, I need to praise Banda, who last season was playing second fiddle in most games, really picked up towards the end of the season, and this season has really embraced the role of the protagonist of this team. No one on this team is as skillful and as explosive as the five foot two Zambian man. Uh, Absolutely. He plays with so much flair. And if he's having an off day, then they bring on the son of Eusebio Di Francesco. Exactly. Um, Di Francesco. (laughs) (laughs) Um, As well, Gallo. Had a decent game over here. They could also bring on Dorgu if, yeah, if yeah. he's not having a, a, an incredible game. And even bringing on the likes of Blin. Um, Lecce don't have a terrible squad. If you were to compare them to, for example, the team Udinese have been fielding, mm-hmm. there's not much difference in quality, man. It's true. And um, they've lost so many players. Like if you look at the players they've lost, they've lost Hulman, Cisse, Cassandro, Colombo. Bjork and Grin, <laughs> Romagnoli, Person, Lucioni, Monterisi, Rodriguez, Bleve, Lemons, Male, and wait, no, Di, Fran- Di Francesco. Di Francesco is still there, yes. Um, and they've brought in so many players, man. They've brought in Almqvist, Udin. They've brought in, like, they lost Umtiti, but they brought in Pongracic. Yeah. Rafia came in, Smilovic. Vicoli. Um, well. These are all good signings with a minimal budget, and maybe. To everyone's surprise, Lecce survived the season. Yeah, we'll the season is long. Season is very, very long. Our opinion can change, but from the first two games, Lecce have looked solid the same way they looked solid at the start of last season as yes. well. Let's move on to the next game. Okay, the next game we're going to be covering and the penultimate game we're going to be covering is Monza's 2-0 victory over Empoli. Monza coming off a 2-0 loss against Inter in the season opener, while Empoli were coming off a 1-0 home loss to Hellas Verona. Monza and Empoli have actually only met twice previously in Serie A and it was both last season. A home win for each side, 1-0 at Empoli and 2-1 in Monza. 
Daniel Maldini was still out with injury and joined goalkeeper Elia Caprile with a badly sprained ankle. The hosts welcomed Armando Itzo on his return from suspension. When it comes to the starting 11 for Monza, it was a 3-4-1 formation with Di Gregorio in goal and a backline of Caldirola, Mari and Itzo. They had Churia out on the left this time and Birindelli out on the right. Gagliardini and Pessina in the double pivot with Caprari and Colpani playing behind Mota. For Empoli, it was Perizan in goal and a backline of Ebuehi, Ismaili, Luperto and Cacace. They had Haas and Marin in the midfield with Cancilleri out on the right, Jassi out on the left and Baldanzi playing behind Ciccio Caputo. Gagliardini struck the woodwork in the 19th minute with a powerful shot from some serious, serious distance. This was around 25 to 30 yards out and was an absolute bullet. Good to see that in addition to him being a very tidy midfielder that he also has that in his locker. In the 25th minute, Caldirola and Churia linked up brilliantly down the left flank, leading to Churia squaring the ball into the box, but Colpani's shot was cleared off the line by Luperto. However, Colpani did manage to get a goal on the stroke of halftime in the 45th minute as Churia found Colpani just outside the box. Colpani effortlessly skipped past Jassi before firing the ball into the top near corner with a left-footed thunderbolt. What a goal. That was our goal of the week. Very tidy stuff there by Colpani. Empoli almost got a goal back at the start of the second half after a defensive clusterfuck by Monza led to Caputo having an open goal, but Birindelli blocked the strike very, very well. In the 48th minute, Marin struck the woodwork from at least 35 yards out this time. Di Gregorio did get a touch shoot. This was, a, this was one of those Marin shots mm-hmm. that he takes on sometimes. Yeah, he, you know what I mean? He took one, match day one. Yeah, literally. The exact literally, same shot, hit the crossbar literally, as well. Literally, yeah, that, that's 2-4-2 two for, two for him. In the 53rd minute and then Colpani uh, got his second goal for Monza and for himself. It looked like Perizan denied Colpani's header, but the keeper's arm was not quite strong enough as the ball slowly made its way over the line. So Monza took away all three points, their first victory of the season, while Sempoli still have yet to get off the mark. They're off to a dreadful start. Maybe my earlier prediction wasn't too far-fetched. What is it that that, that is making Empoli struggle? Okay, this game was against Monza. The season opener was against Verona that now have two victories in a row. But So technically, they're not the easiest games, but you have to put up a fight against teams that are within your realm. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they really haven't been doing that and they've clearly been second best in both games. I feel like Monza are a level above when it comes to organization, mm-hmm. definitely. Um, I think that in Empoli's system, the wingers are very important and they have two new wingers who are still settling in country, Larry and Jazzy. Yeah, they didn't even so, play with wingers last season, so that's yeah, a big, exactly. big change for them. It really is. Um, and I, I don't know, they don't seem to be ticking as well at all. Caputo seems isolated and he's past it as well. Let's be real, Caputo. He's, he's look, still look, good. He's still a capable goal, goal scorer, but I don't think he can be. Well. Yes, I don't think he can be your reference point though anymore. I think he's past it and I think he needs competition up front. Yeah. It's just a shame that they've just let go of Piccoli to bring in Male. Granted, yeah. Male, his technique can definitely help them in the middle. Yeah, I think um, there's strong points to this side, but they're also very weak points. So, Baldanzi is obviously a great player. Marin is a great player. Ebue, he's a great player. Um, Ismaili and Luperto aren't bad. Kakacha is okay. Um, Haas is okay. Um, 
Cancelleri can work. He just needs more time. He's clearly mm-hmm. a, a talented young guy. Um, he, he's there to get minutes, and as he gets more minutes, the better he's going to become, and his qualities yeah. are going to be showcased. He's, he's explosive, but the more I watch him, the less I like him. Really? Yes. Yeah, I, I used to really I like his him. pace and size yeah. for a winger, man. I like his size a lot. For I don't a know. I'm not sure about his decision making and having him. Yeah, but that's why he needs minutes, no? Yes, but sometimes minutes can't improve your footballing brain. Uh, maybe he just needs to get used to yeah, his he's teammates. 21. He's 21. Three clubs in three yeah. years for him. It's not It's not easy. Yeah, that's true. He needs to settle a bit. He needs yeah. some continuity, you know? Yeah. Him and Baldanzi could actually be quite terrifying together um, in the future. However, like you said, Caputo, a little bit past it. Um, and Giassi on the left, to be honest. Maybe I'm being daft, but what do you see in him kind of thing? Like, why, why bring him on? Uh, as your winger, you're, you're better off either loaning in a young talent from Juventus... Uh, Milan, Lazio or, or someone mm-hmm. like that rather than doing that, man. I mean, maybe they were predicting that they might be in a relegation fight because the teams around them have really improved at the bottom part of the table. Um, Jazzy is a leader. He mm-hmm. was the captain of Spezia, as we mentioned in the last episode. And I guess that was the appeal, no? You're bringing in a seasoned captain and leader of a team that survived three seasons in a row against all odds. Yeah. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. You make him sound good. Um, <laughs> for Monza, it was a, a clean win for them. It's it, at, at this point in the season for Monza, yes, it's important to get three points, but it's very important as well to have a player like Colpani um, showcase what he's capable of and, and, and having such a great game. Yes, yeah, nice to see that he's also stepped up, Colpani. He had a good season last season and um, this game... <laughs> He just showed us another level, a new level. I didn't yeah. think he was this good, but yeah. fuck me, he was good this game. Yeah. Um, I, I, I like that front three a lot. Caprari, Colpani, Mota, a lot of pace over there as well. A lot of trickery, a lot of technique. Also important to note, Petania is out of the squad as he has joined Cagliari. Um, so that gives Mota the opportunity to really show us what he's made of. But that's enough for this fixture. Yeah, moving on to the Monday 6.30 madness with Salernitana 1, Udinese 1. Salernitana are unbeaten in four of their last five matches against Udinese since their return in Serie A in 2001. Um, Udinese have scored in each of their eight away matches played between Serie A and Serie B against Salernitana. So there was your bet. Yeah. <laughs> Lorenzo Lucca was starting this game. Fun fact, I was so hyped to watch him. <laughs> I'm very excited for this guy. So Salernitana... Lined up with a 3-4-2-1 formation for Sousa's men. It was Ochoa in goal with Pirola, Gionber and Lovato at the back. Matsoki as the left wing back and Castanos as the right wing back. Kulibali and Bohinen were in the middle. Kandreva and Botheim were playing behind Dia who started this game. It looks to be staying. Yeah, it does seem that staying, way, yes. And that's massive for Salernitana. I officially retract my statement that they will be in the bottom three because with Dia up front and Kandreva behind him, you cannot finish top Absolutely. Uh, bottom three. <laughs> Absolutely. Silvestri was in goal for Udinese as Sotil deployed his 3-5-2. Perez, Bijol and Cabasele were at the back with Ferreira on the right, Kamar on the left, excuse me. <coughs> Jesus. <laughs> Lovrich, Wallace and Samardzic were in the middle with Lorenzo Luca and Thovan up front. That's the two weeks in a row. You've oh my god, I've been like this for like a month, dude. I don't know what's going on with me. Oh, he must have COVID. In the 57th minute, we saw the first goal as Lorenzo Luca headed across into the path of Lazar Samardzic who rifled the ball into the bottom corner. The first half was a cagey one. 
and nothing really happened no teams tense, really no? took yes tense cagey no team wanted to concede and it was clear but in the second half when Lorenzo Luca the six foot seven striker play, headed the ball to Samardzic and he scored and that's when the game opened up and Salernitana really started attacking in the 72nd minute Kandreva intelligently played the ball through to Bulaedia who finished expertly there were crazy scenes of course pa, 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 la, la, la. Bulaedia immediately all that Salerno was going mental the Salernitana fans were amazing this game um, Udinese had I believe 70 fans I'm not even joking it's not really? exaggerated they had 70 fans in the away wow. sector it was quite that means Atalanta, Atalanta that means Salernitana had 19,930 fans. Yeah, that makes sense. Salerno is crazy for, <laughs> for Salernitana. Yes, um, I was particularly impressed with Salernitana's new boys. So they have actually brought in more players than just the infamous Stewart with the hairstyle. Mm, mm. They've brought in a guy called Iquemezi, Iquemezi okay. who displayed great technique this game when rounding the goalkeeper at one point. He, like I thought the goalkeeper came out and cleared the ball, Silvestri, but it turns out it was at Iquemezi's feet the entire time. <laughs> Cabral was brought in from Sporting. Oh. Yeah, you might recognize him from his time at Lazio, remember? Mm. And Marte Gianni had a fantastic curling effort saved by Silvestri as a midfielder, and he played an incredible game. I'm just going to say Cabral, not to be confused with Fiorentina's Yeah, striker. no, no, no. Who is having a great time at ben- Benfica, I believe. Benfica, I believe so, yes. I believe so. Um, with Di, Mar- Di Maria there as well. Yeah. Yeah, this was a great game to close the the week. Well, the Inter game closed the week, but this was an even better game, in my opinion, to watch. It was mm. so much fun to watch. Um, yeah, entertaining, and it was a well-earned draw by both teams. I don't think any team particularly deserved to win it. Ochoa had a fantastic save at one point. The, co- the commentator kept describing Ochoa as a flamboyant goalkeeper. Yeah, and it, I mean, it, he it is. It makes perfect it, sense. And he said that he makes every save look better than it actually no, is. No, 100%. Which is true. He's very sure. 100%. But, but great keeper nonetheless, and he had a fantastic game this game. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So that concludes our analysis of match day two. If you want uh, to call it that. <laughs> if you want to call it that. We can move on to our question segment. Welcome to our question segment, which is open for all, but our patrons always get priority. Right? Yes. So if you want priority in the question segment, it's $3.99 a month, baby. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so our first question comes from Matthias Krussel who says, strange of Empoli to loan out Henderson to Palermo when they need more physicality in the midfield. They apparently decri- declined to bring back Akpa Akpa yep. as well. What do you think? I, I think I think so. Um, I think they, they had such good balance to the midfield last season with Akpa Akpa on, especially in, in that um, positive run that they had just before the World Cup. Um, he was significantly important in, in breaking down play for them. And now they're clearly lacking that in their side. I mean, is Haas supposed to be that guy? Yeah. Um, because I think as much as him being a physical player, I don't think he can dispossess players the same way Akpa Pro does. Um, or the same way 
that Henderson does for that matter. So, yes, a strange call, and I do think it's going to bite them in the ass a little bit. Yes, definitely weird. And but Henderson, I mean, Akpakrov, you have the option to redeem him, redeem him after what the season he had. And Henderson has been very good for them. So, it's pro- probably a massive factor in why they're struggling. Poor decisions in the market. I think so. The next question comes from RK on Instagram. And it's more of a statement. He says, Juve still need to sack Allegri and bring in a coach with a winning mentality like Conte. Replace Danilo and Alexandra as they are evidently not even close to being solid centre-backs. They are bloody left and right backs. This team will not function other in a 4-3-3 or a 3-4-3 formation. I think Danilo's a great centre-back. Mm. Um, Alexandre, yes, you're right, completely. Danilo's a yeah. leader, though you can't, you can't really hate uh-huh. Danilo. I think. But I, I, can't, I can't fault Danilo's performances mm. as, a, as a right centre-back for them, despite the fact that he's a natural right-back. Yeah. Um, <coughs> I think Allegri, I think they wanted to remove him, but it, it Eight was million. too expensive as an operation, so they just have to keep him. They're forced to keep him yeah. without European I, football. I don't think they have an option in they that sense. They they, they, the financial turmoil and the and the ban that they have from European football is, is going to cost them a lot financially. We all know what they went through during COVID um, with, with the Ronaldo purchase as well. They struggled for a few years. Um, so I think, look, Allegri is going to get them top four. Yeah. So I think ride the wave unt- and un- until Allegri... Um, runs his contract out and then you're absolutely right they should look for a manager with a proper winning mentality and um, a more offensive manager because they have the players for that then you bring in Italiano or or Motta or Mm, someone like that or maybe don't bro fucking (laughs) keep those managers away from you (laughs) so the next question comes from Simon Holish who says Salamakers in my opinion deserves a better club than Bologna when given a chance, he's going to show that he's worth a lot more than what people think. It's hilarious because I agree with him, but then he won't start for Bologna. That's it. No, he deserves a place where he can express himself and get more minutes. Now, does he deserve a better club than Bologna? In theory, yes. Is he guaranteed a starting spot at Bologna? No. No. <laughs> no. They have many good players in his position. You say, okay, maybe there is Ndoye and Orsolini, like... Sure, he can't play behind the striker, but he can pop him as a right wing back. Nope, there's yeah. Stefan Posh, one of the highest scoring fullbacks mm-hmm. in the league last season. You know, he's going to have to prove himself. And if he can't get a starting spot at Bologna, then maybe that's his level. Now is his time to prove himself as a protagonist for a mid-table team with ambitions for that seventh spot, perhaps. In reality, Salamakers' place at Milan was because of a clear and evident hole um, in Milan's team, which at the time there was Suso and Castillejo. Um, and then when Suso left and Castillejo needed someone to compete with, because there's no way you start with, with Castillejo as AC Milan, they brought on Salamakers. And then Salamakers turned out to be a better player than Samu. Um, and then... Messias ended up being Salamakers' vice. Mm. So he was there essentially because of a hole and because Milan just simply weren't investing in any real solid talent mm. um, of a great caliber in the right wing position. So technically, if there's a bigger team with a hole in the right wing position, surely Salamakers would be a good fit for them because he's, he's a good player. Um, but he is inconsistent and you would always want someone a bit better as a top seven team, for example, mm-hmm, in Italy. Mm-hmm. Akers, um needs to improve his... Um, how am I going to put this nicely? Let's, let's say his discipline. 
mm. because there were many situations where he had the ball when Milan had an advantage and purely was literally signaling from the touchline for him to to pass mm. and or, or to pass back or to not lose the ball and he had to go for a stupid dribble and lose the ball and i feel like maybe this this might have been what caused the the fallout or maybe it was an attitude problem i don't know because it is strange how milan just shipped him out yeah i think so salamakers is a medium stake if he doesn't have any sauce then he's going to suffer but with the sauce he's fucking saucy and he's delicious and that was matthew now um <laughs> moving on to oh yeah you know what i mean with this sauce <laughs> yeah, sometimes he's saucy sometimes yeah, yeah. he's not when he's not saucy he's nothing yeah, yeah. he's saucy he's everything he most definitely is not rare that's what yeah. he definitely is yeah so panzavecchia uh, il pans il pans he asks what up baby Are Lazio missing SMS more than people have imagined? Definitely. 100, Definitely. 100 billion percent. I think it goes without saying, no explanation. Mm-hmm. And, and I think they'll, they'll suffer for longer than people would have imagined. Yeah. yeah, definitely. He also asks, does Lukaku make Roma top four favorites? Um, Not favorites, no. but contenders, sure. It, con- it, it puts them in a better position. To get themselves top four because even though Lukaku can be quite a liability at times he gives you a 100% success rate from the spot he gives you a target man um, he gives you someone that can hold hold play well thing is they need to they need to put up with having Lukaku mm-hmm. on their yeah. team and I feel like if Mourinho needs one particular manager in history of football managers to put him in his place it's Mourinho because yeah. if, if Lukaku if, needs you Lukaku needs yeah. yeah Lukaku needs it's Mourinho yeah, yeah because this is the thing with Mourinho and this thing with other managers other managers if a if a player makes a small mistake they let it slide Mourinho will hold you accountable to the tiniest of details mm-hmm. and he will publicly shame you for the tiniest of details so I think that is something that could really put Lukaku in his place and perhaps get the best out of Lukaku yeah maybe cause another feud <laughs> or maybe cause we'll another see. feud Uh, Max Camilleri asks, should this be a rare season where all newly promoted teams stay up? Too early to mm-hmm. to say. Um, you should hear his next question. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not convinced because to me, Frozenone and Genoa look great. Cagliari look okay. They look okay. They they haven't done anything in the opening two games that made me think, ah, they'll stay up. Mm-hmm. Um, but Genoa and Frosinone, wow, man, wow, mm-hmm. they look really good. Yeah. Um, again, as as Matty said, it's too early to say, but um, I can't remember a time when three newly promoted teams looked this impressive so early on. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm definitely impressed by them, and I wouldn't be surprised if they stayed up. Um, Cagliari would be the most surprising one at the moment. Yeah. Um, However, I do think they'll grow into the season as well. I, I think so as yeah. well. And Cagliari, that kind of team that come January, they'll make some experienced yeah. signings. Like They'll reinforce. I wonder who the bottom teams will be. Like Udinese can be relegation candidates. Yeah. You know? Lots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. He also asks his next question. This is a crazy one. Huh? I want your predictions on top four in order. Oh my God. Yeah. And, and we, we put this in the prediction episode. And... I'm 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 gonna mirror that. Yeah, I'm gonna mirror because that because it's so early to, had, to make it. I had you to win the league personally, so I had you to win the league. Um, I think I had 
Napoli in second, Milan in third, and Atalanta in fourth. Those yeah. were my predictions. <laughs> my predictions were Milan in first, um, Juve in second, Napoli in third, Inter in fourth. Max is a, an Inter fan, so he's he's going to be ah. displeased, especially with Hazard. with yours. <laughs> yes, we'll see. Um, definitely look like they're going to prove me wrong. <laughs> yeah, Inter are looking looking very good, man. The season yeah. as well. Three teams in particular are looking very good this season. Yes, yes. But we look forward to watching more Seiya so we can bring you more coverage. Isn't there Steve Coleiro, I believe, had one as well? Did he? I believe so. Oh yeah, the statement. Steve, I'm so sorry. Yeah, the statement on Inter. I believe I saw it on, in our DMs. You're right. You're right. You're right. Love you, Steve. Sorry, Steve. So, not really a hot take, but Inter look like they're playing at 60 to 70% and are smashing it. Very concerning for the rest of the league, in my opinion. I totally agree. Mm-hmm. They didn't even have the pedal to the metal, you know, when it yeah. came to the Cagliari game, for example. And they they totally blew them out of the water, <laughs> bro. We just got a video on our TV. <laughs> Of, of Petania smiling. Petania smiling and then a gecko smiling. It's a salamander. After. That's a salamander. Because it's salamacres. <laughs> that's, that's brilliant. Bologna that's post. brilliant. Yeah, this is that's amazing. brilliant. Okay. Look, at, look at this. This is the official stream of Sky. The tabs they had opened during yeah, the stream. It's crazy, bro. Stream like, like fucking control out the lead, G. Statement of Steve. Um, yes, they look like they're playing at 60%, but it's because they get the job done in the opening 20 minutes. Yeah. That's when they drop down to 60%. I feel like in the beginning of the games, they are quite ruthless. Um, and they punish their opponents for making simple mistakes. Inter are going to be a serious problem for teams this season. Um, yeah, I definitely disagree with Jake. I think they end up top four. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much for listening, guys. Um, we have been your host, Jake. And Matt, don't forget to drop us a follow, guys. Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube. Rate us five stars wherever you get your podcast. We'll be back next week. Um, Serie A starts early this weekend. Friday, games at 6.30 and 8.45. Do not miss Roma against yes. Milan at the Olympico. I personally can't wait for the weather to cool down a bit so that we'll have the 12.30 games back again. Absolutely, man. See you guys next week.